Okay, we're starting a new series today, and it's from a book by Mark Moore called Core 52. Seems pretty popular. What we're going to do is get into his 52 different topics. We'll have uh, at least one for each week. That is the idea of 52. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to read his devotional thought and use that as the podcast. And what we're going to do after that is I'm going to create a another podcast with a response. So what we're trying to do is have a conversation with the author, Mark Moore. And uh, there's a lot of praise for his uh, Core 52 as well as Quest 52. These are two books that he has published, among others. He has other books. But what we want to do is get into a routine of having uh, one, at least one devotional every week. And Core 52 uh, is just going to provide like a foundation for uh, conversation starters and so forth for our responses. So he has them all listed. And I can let me see if I can go here to the table of contents and find uh, just give you several. Uh, it the first 10 he has uh, creation, our true identity, the fall, covenant, holiness, Jesus and Moses. Kingdom of God, Jesus and David, finding happiness, prophecy. And then, of course, he has 40 other ones. But each one is only designed really to be about 10 to 15 minutes long. So what I'm going to do is I'm reading them ahead of time, but then I'm going to read them to you. And then I'm going to uh, isolate that podcast episode and then I will develop my own response in a separate episode. So if you have uh, questions or if you want to hear uh, perspective uh, that uh, I will give you through the course of all these 52, uh, then you'll have it in a separate episode. But why don't we just get started? Why don't we just start with uh, his first one, which is creation. Now I noticed in his first chapter here, uh, creation, he has three questions. One is, who created this world? Number two, why did God create this world? And number three, how did God restore creation? Those are some interesting questions. And so let's just get into them. I'll read again what he says, and you'll have Mark Moore uh, basically giving his book to you, and then I will prepare a response in a different episode. Okay, so I may butt in a few times here or there, but uh, we'll we'll try for the most part just to hear what Mark has to say. Okay, so he has creation, and the first question he actually has above who created this world is why are we here? It's a little question versus a like a heading question or a titled question. And he says, We live in an immense universe on an extraordinary little blue ball. 
There's no question that it's a masterpiece, and at its center is the human species. Yet each of us treading across this sacred space wonders why we're here. What's our part to play in this theater of life? That all depends on the answer to the following three questions, which I already mentioned. Who created this world? Why did God create this world? And why or how did God restore creation? So those are interesting uh, perspectives on those questions, okay? So let me go ahead and read under his, Who Created This World? All artists leave fingerprints on their work, so knowing the creation gives a glimpse into the nature of the creator. The Bible teaches that God is actually three in one, Father, Son, and Spirit. Though the clearest glimpses of this trinity are in the New Testament, all three peak from behind the curtain as early as Genesis 1, 1 through 3. God the Father is the architect. That's how the Bible begins. God created, specifically God created elements out of nothing. This sounds simple, even obvious. Yet every other creation story from the ancient Near East assumes that what's eternal is physical matter, not God. The gods merely fashioned pre-existing matter into the existing world like children shaping Play-Doh. The Bible, however, asserts that God alone is eternal. Hence, the universe is an extension of God, not vice versa. This Christian worldview stands in opposition to all worldviews that assert matter as eternal rather than God. This includes polytheism and pantheism that sees God in inanimate objects such as wind, waves, or animals. The Christian worldview is also in opposition to Darwinian evolution that replaces the eternal God with eternal stuff. The idea that God created the earth is a common belief among the monotheistic religions, Judaism, Islam, and Christianity. However, there's a factor added by Christians that's absent from other religions. The Holy Spirit is the engineer. As we read in Genesis 1 verse 2, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. The, this Hebrew word, hovering, expresses a vibration. The Spirit quaked to bring order out of chaos. It's not dissimilar to a frantic hostess 30 minutes prior to dinner guests arriving. The Spirit was intent on ordering the creation so it would be a life-giving garden. The Hebrew word for breath is also translated spirit. For example, the breath of God animated Adam in Genesis chapter 2 verse 7. In Genesis chapter 7 verse 22, the word for breath is the very word translated spirit. Everything on dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life, died. This is also true of animals, according to Psalm 104, 30. When you send forth your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the ground. Every animal that has breath is sustained by the spirit. The spirit is the ongoing force of God that gives life, breath, and sustaining energy on earth. 
He's relentlessly, intimately, and perpetually involved in the very fabric of our earthly environment. God, the Father, created. God, the Spirit, creates. There's a telltale sign where people, when people ignore the Spirit in creation, namely the environment becomes a resource to be exploited rather than a gift to be nurtured. The elements become mute, no longer declaring the glory of God, as in Psalm chapter 19, uh, verses 1 through 3. We miss God in the thunderstorm and wind, the bloom of a flower, and the majesty uh, of the mountains. Our environmental insensitivities betray our ignorance of the Spirit's continued care for every element of our earth. Consequently, Christians restrict worship to a building on Sunday rather than worshiping daily in the expanse of the universe where broader culture has replaced the love of the spirit with the law of the jungle. We need to acknowledge the spirit in creation. God the Father is the architect. God the Spirit is the engineer. And Jesus is the builder. He did the heavy lifting, excuse me, he did the heavy lifting during creation. This is seen in Genesis 1, verse 3. God said, let there be light, and there was light. If we lay that alongside John, chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, we see the mechanics of creation. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. This word, as we learn in verse 14, is none other than Jesus. Even before he came to earth in human form, he was fully God. The embodiment, as it were, of God's spoken word. When God gave the command, Jesus, the word, turned the command into creation. The Apostle Paul confirmed this in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 16 saying, He is the the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. What happens when we ignore the role of Jesus in creation? Typically, salvation becomes a future spiritual state in heaven rather than an actual earthly reality. We do, of course, have a future in heaven. Nonetheless, Jesus, the Creator, is equally interested in your eternal life here and now. So there you have it, the Trinity embedded in the first three verses of Genesis. God is the architect, the Spirit is the engineer, and Jesus is the builder. All three are unique and essential to creation, If any of these are ignored, we'll misunderstand not only the nature of creation, but also our own nature and the dignified role God intends for us. Okay, so now, why did God create this world? Some suggest that God created because he was lonely. That's impossible to prove and pretty hard to swallow. God had angels in abundance who would communicate, perform, and do who knows how many other things to entertain serve, and otherwise delight God. Furthermore, God had himself. God is a community, Father, Son, and Spirit. They love, communicate with, and enjoy one another. There's nothing lacking in God's own person that required him to create someone to keep him company. 
So why did God create? We need look no further than Psalm 102.18 for an answer. Let this be recorded for a generation to come so that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord. Every generation that God created from our primal parents in Eden to our own unborn children has a singular divine purpose to bring God glory. This shouldn't come as a shock. The fingerprints of God in our own souls will drive us in the same direction. Why do we dress fashionably to look good? Why do we decorate our homes to impress company? Why do we present our a gourmet meal with such panache? To please others and to receive praise. Isn't it our internal impulse to create for others pleasure and for our own praise? God creates with the same impulse. We're here for the express purpose of bringing God's glory. When we look at our own genetic complexity, we're awestruck. The fingerprints of an infant, the structure of our eyes, the electrical synapses of the brain, our bodies are works of art. From Olympic spectacles to ballet, from the NBA to National Geographic, we're stunned by God's handiwork. David expressed it well in Psalm 139, verse 13. You formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. Without speaking a word, even in inanimate objects like mountains and rivers and stars and rainbows acclaim their creator in Psalm 89, 12 and 148, 3 through 10. Creation itself is a primary proof of God's existence, Romans chapter 1, verse 20 and verse 25. By seeing his fingerprints in the world, we're drawn to his self-portrait in the Bible. Here's where it gets most majestic. We're made to manage the creation of God. We are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 in the NIV. We continue God's act of creation. What makes this more amazing and what raises the stakes is that God, personally and perpetually involved, in creating and recreating this masterpiece of the world, masterpiece of the world with a with the help of humans. God created the heavens and the earth. He leaves it up to us to make it a world even more wonderful. So how did God restore creation? This world is a wreck. It all went south in Genesis 3 when Eve was seduced by the serpent. That moment of indiscretion released a cascade of consequences. None of this took God by surprise, but it did take his breath away. He was distraught over the condition of creation that he so cherished. This flows into the story of the flood in Genesis 6-8 through 8, when God hit reset on the world. God knew this wasn't a permanent fix as the first couple fell in the garden, so Noah's family failed after the flood. So too Abraham's uh, nation rebelled, but the plan of God all along was to bring a fallen creation back. Notice he began with a couple, then a family, then a nation, and today his mercy extends to all the earth, every tongue, tribe, and nation. The recovery of Eden is the story of the Bible. The finale, of course, is the story of Jesus. By his blood, Jesus would recreate the human spirit by renewing us through his own spirit, if anyone, is, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. We're, we're recreated for good works in Christ. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. It's not a quick fix, 
nor an easy solution. This restoration is not merely for humans, but for all creation. Paul expressed it like this. The creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Romans chapter 8, verse 19 and 22. And so Mark Moore ends with uh, key points. Number one, each member of the Trinity plays a vital role in creation. Number two, God created for the same reasons we do, for others' pleasure and for our own praise. Number three, just as God created the earth, we're to continue to recreate a world reflecting his love. So there you go. That's the end of uh, uh, chapter one, and that's creation uh, in the devotion by Mark Moore. So... What he suggests uh, to, for everyone to do is uh, memorize some of these verses that were mentioned, uh, meditate on them, and uh, identify one small thing you could do today to help restore Eden where you live. So he has another book that he has uh, suggested as a bonus read uh, from Guillermo Gonzalez and J.W. Richards, The Privileged Planet. How Our Place in the Cosmos is Designed for Discovery. So there you have it. There's the first episode of uh, this Core 52. And we're going to have a response to that. I'm going to read through that again. And if you have any questions or comments, then uh, please email them to gcoc at uh, gmail, gcoc.news at gmail.com and we can use those to incorporate into the response episode. So I want you to be mindful of the fact that there will be 52 of these, this being the first one, and that we're going to try to go through each one of these, and uh, you have a uh, an introductory one here that is creation, and you're going to hear this format repeated. So uh, thank you for joining today and listening, and we will be getting uh, more into all of these as soon as we can, and uh, I'll play some music here to outro. All right, have a great day.